Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes 11. You might have listened to that passage read and think, how in the world is that what you want to preach? And I'm going to show you this morning, it's not only what I want to preach, but what you, you will want to hear. It's a lesson about the key to enjoying life. And believe it or not, it's been about four years, 2019, since we went through Solomon's wisdom for living outside of the, uh, of the garden. And Solomon writes a book, as a, this book, Ecclesiastes, as a commentary on the fall. And he gives us help for living with the curse, and he gives us help where we, we won't look in the wrong places and then get disillusioned, which is very possible in, in life. Um, I can remember becoming a, a believer very young in the, in the faith, and I was warned by a brother who had been saved for about five years to, um, to, be, to be wise in the way that I, the way that I viewed things. Uh, I think he said it's something like, you know, don't judge the Savior by the saved. You're going to find things in church that, that may disappoint you, disillusion you. He saw me with, full of joy for being forgiven of all of my sins and just bubbling over almost uh, Pollyanna-like, and, and he was trying to warn me that, that while what you're feeling is absolutely true and, and, and real, uh, that doesn't mean all of the problems in life go away just because you're, you're a Christian now. And Solomon really helps with, with, with that, that, that reality. He shows us where to find the water stations along the trails of, of life, which are the, the blessings that God has mingled in for his people. They're in life, even for Christians, there's a curse, there's injustice and evil and death, and that brings a lot of vanity and vexation, which is the, the theme statement of, of Ecclesiastes. But God has also not left us without joy and blessing and wisdom if we follow Solomon's help. And, and I want to return to a passage toward the end of the book this morning. It's, it's really where Solomon puts his blinker on for the off-ramp. It's not the end of the book, but it's just before it. And Solomon has saved some of his best stuff for, for last as he, he wraps up this, this, this writing. And, and contrary to what, what some think, Ecclesiastes is actually one of the most practical books in all of the Old Testament. And again, when you, you listen to the passage read this morning or followed through, it may not seem that, but, but, but it is. And there's never a more practical place than, than right here in this, what you could call the pre-conclusion. It teaches us how to view life in a world under the curse. And it shows us where to find God's blessings while, while living outside of the garden. And it points us to our Creator as our ultimate source of of joy. And Solomon has been faithfully doing that since the very first verse. Vanity of vanities, he says, if you recall. And we live in a world where storm clouds blow in and out of life. The rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. And sometimes the righteous get the storms and the wicked get the sun. Haven't you seen that in life? That's frustrating, isn't it? In a fallen world, evil can temporarily prevail. The wicked at times get what they don't deserve, and the righteous are delayed in gaining what they do. Life under the sun is frustrating and, and futile apart from, from God. And Solomon makes no bones about that in this book, which is why it's so helpful for me and probably for you. And, but this book also tells us that one day God will write what is wrong. He'll straighten what is crooked. He'll undo the curse and bring about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And until then, we need Solomon's wisdom to live wisely. And that's the purpose of Ecclesiastes. And this morning, Solomon will teach us his final lesson in the book, which, which, which oddly is about finding joy in life. And I say oddly because if you, you know Ecclesiastes, it seems, seems like this, this book that just puts the curse in our face all the all the time. And 
That may seem like an odd topic, especially since he's laid out this futile path and frustrating episode over and over and over in the book of living outside of the, of the garden. But unless you get that in your brain, that you live outside of the garden, we are not in paradise. Unless you get that in your head, we live under a curse in a fallen world, you're going to wreck. You're going to get disillusioned. So Solomon helps us with that. But joy in Jesus Christ is available to believers even under the curse. Not just in little drops, but massive dollops. And we can live well with uncertainties, uh, following Solomon's strategy for prospering in an uncertain world. And, and you can even find joy in the, in the curse if you follow God's wise plan that he gives us here, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 11, going through verse 8 of, of chapter 12. Solomon says... There are some keys to enjoying life under the sun. And that comes to light by remembering three things. Remembering life's length, remembering its accountability, and remembering its owner. He calls us to enjoy, in fact, commands us to rejoice in the gifts of life. But says in order to do that, you must live life with three post-it notes on your dashboard. Life is short. After it comes the judgment, and life is owned by God. He's your creator. Remember those things, and Solomon says you can enjoy life, no matter what life deals you, what, what part of the curse you experience personally. And Solomon is going, Solomon is going to teach you how, how to keep those things in front of you so we can enjoy God and his blessings in, the, in this passage. And He says you, you must remember three certainties to, to enjoy life, and here they are. You must remember its passing brevity, verses 7 and 8. You must remember the future judgment in verses 9 and 10. And you must remember your creator. That's 1 through 8 is beginning in, in chapter 12. It's passing brevity, it's future judgment, and, and your creator. And we'll look at these one at a time. Three certainties to enjoy life. And the first one is you must remember, if you want to truly enjoy life, it's, it's passing Brevity. Look, if you would, at, at verse 7. It says, Light is pleasant, and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, a man should live many years. Let him rejoice in all of them, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. Now, now notice the contrast here, the focus of the words. He, he starts with things that are pleasant and things that are good. Light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes. And then toward the end, he starts talking about darkness and futility. The days of darkness and those that come will, will have some futility in them. He's describing the experiences of, of life, but he also tells us what to do with them. He, he tells us to, to rejoice in, in all of them and remember even the dark ones. Solomon begins by calling all of us to rejoice in all the days that we have on, on the earth. The good and pleasant ones, and we also are to rejoice in the dark and futile ones. Obviously, you rejoice differently in those, but they're still there. He starts with the, the goodness of life and portrays it by light. He, he says, light is pleasant and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. He, he, he says, the, it, it's like the, the joy of the first beam of a sunrise. So are the pleasantries of this life. It's dark, and you see the sun just coming up, just coming over. It lights everything up. The joys of life are, are like that. And when you see this concept of light used in the Old Testament, it, it means the joy and blessing of, liver, uh, of living, contrasted to the sorrow of adversity and, and death. I mean, Solomon is not just calling us to live, live here, but, but to live joyfully. And he uses two words to describe the, this enjoyment that we have in life. He, he says it's sweet or pleasant, and it's good. There are sweet things. There are good things in life, even outside of the garden. One word means exactly what you think. It means good. And the other is more precise. It was used for the sweetness of honey. Michael Eaton said life is is not only good in itself, but it's to be savored with enthusiasm as one might enjoy honey. It's good like butter, but even more than that, it's, it's like honey butter, which is even better. This is a strong contrast to how you might think that, 
that, that you should look at life under, uh, under the curse, especially since Solomon's been telling us about the curse over and over. And, and notice he doesn't leave the curse out of this, of this command to enjoy. Look at verse 8 again. He actually includes it. He says, let him in, rejoice in them all, not just the good and pleasant ones, but let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. There will be futility in life along with good and pleasant days. So this is not a photoshopped view of life that leads out, leaves out a reality. I'm a child of the king, so I'm to expect blessing and health and wealth and all of those things. That, that, that's, that's contrary to Scripture and surely not what Solomon says here. If there's one thing that Solomon hates, it's someone who holds back the truth, even the hard stuff. And Solomon's already told us that life is vain and it's difficult and it's uncertain and, and, and it contains things that can be perplexing, like justice or injustice, I should say, and delay and death. And sooner or later, we'll taste what is bitter in life along with what is sweet. And we'll face disappointments and discouragements and, and loss, but it doesn't mean joy is, is unavailable or it's unattainable. I mean, Solomon's not confused here. He's not speaking out of one side of his, his mouth and then the other side. He's giving a realistic view of life, right? And he's telling us to enjoy what's good in it and acknowledging both difficulty and, dif and, and these, these, these dissatisfactions and also what is good and pleasant. You have to acknowledge both of those actually to enjoy life. I mean, think of it this way. Does the fact that it rains take away the beauty and the warmth of the sun? I mean, no, and in, in fact, it, it makes us appreciate it even more. I mean, do the days when you're sick steal any delight from the days when you feel good? I mean, not at all. In, in fact, it can enhance them. I mean, Proverbs 17, 1 says, Better is a dry morsel with a quiet house, uh, with quiet, than a house full of feasting with strife. I mean, you would think, I, oh, if I just had this, if I just had a table full of people, a table full of food, a bank full of money, then I would find happiness. But, but Solomon says, if you have all of that and you have strife, it's much better to have a dry, dry morsel and in peace. And in life under the sun, you'll, you'll get both. And we're not to let the frustrations rob us of finding joy. I mean, Phil Riken said that Solomon is saying, don't take life for granted and don't complain and grumble about it. And approach every day like Psalm 118, 24, which tells us, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Speaking of the, Messiah, uh, the, 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 the Messiah's coming. But, but, but every day, it's the day the Lord's made. Rejoice and let's be glad in it. So, so how do you do that? How do I do that when, when it's difficult and it's frustrating and it seems that that just comes one right after the other? How do, I, how do I count my blessings? Well, he tells us right here in the verse, which is these two subpoints. Rejoice in all of, of life, shouts Solomon. Do it urgently and do it knowledgeably. Look at verse 8. He says, indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in all of them. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. He defines futility as old age, near death, at the, in, the, in the verses in chapter 12, which we'll see in a minute. Are you the kind of person who always feel bad, feels bad whenever you feel good because you know you're going to feel worse? Do you find it easier to think of what you don't have than wring out the blessings of what you do? I mean, Solomon sounds two notes of warning here to get after enjoyment. He, he says, number one, death makes our response to life of joy an urgent matter because there are no do-overs. No do That's the urgent part. Life has a beginning, and it is ticking this morning, and it has an end. And number two, he says, there is baked-in futility and frustration, so don't stumble over those. That is, those are the knowledgeable part. It's urgent because it begins, and it's moving, even right now. And you have to be knowledgeable because there are things baked in that are hard. And Solomon says once your days are gone, they're gone. I mean, light will become darkness one day and there'll be no opportunities after that. Uh, then even the hard days would be welcomed. There's seven days this week and some of them will have sun. And if you spend the sunny days thinking about the rain yesterday or the forecast tomorrow, you don't get the sunny day back. 
what Solomon's saying. That's the urgency part. And difficulty is relative, isn't it? I mean, would you take one of those super difficult mornings when you had to get up so early to go to middle school and deal with all the pressure of homework, now that you get up at 5 a.m. and go into the real world? It's relative. Would you trade one of those hard days when the kids wouldn't stop saying your name and the house was a mess for one of those days in an empty house now that they're gone? Would you welcome a cleaning day with no aches now that you can't clean the house even though you want to? And when you go to heaven, would you trade one difficult day, live for Christ, for one less reward to cast at his feet? No, you'll wish that you suffered even more. I mean, life is short, so don't spend it too long on grumbling over the things, or you'll miss the good stuff that God has in it. But he also says being knowledgeable will help you. Because life doesn't yield up its joys easily amidst the curse. I mean, life may not take the, the turn you expect or the turn or turn out the way that, that you hoped, but, but don't let its uncertainties impair your stride. I mean, it has dark days and frustrating ones. I mean, we struggle with that because we expect that not to be true, when it is. I mean, we think it's normal that frustrations don't come. Or that it's possible that, that they won't come. But, but Solomon says that, God says that's not the reality. To realize that and live, that this is not the end. This is the beginning. I mean, don't look for the perfect day. Enjoy the perfections of the day that, that you have. Don't look for the perfect spouse. Seek the grace of God in the one that, that is before you. I mean, don't pass up a good meal and fail to enjoy it because it doesn't have every little morsel that, that you might want. I mean, don't forgo a good job because it lacks something. Fill up what lacks with the, with the best of the job that you do have. Now, I can remember someone asking Boaz one time what he thought the major difference was between the way Americans approach life and, and Israelis. And, and he said those from the West are always focusing on getting to the destination. And they miss God's lessons that are in the journey. That's what Solomon is saying here. It's not just about the destination. Right now he's talking about the journey. It's exactly what Solomon is saying. There is more journey than the end. I mean, yes, you'll go through the sharp shower of death and you'll wake up on the other side, but there is a lot of water that has to run before you get there. There are 26 miles of the marathon and only, only one inch of tape at the end. And you run for the prize, but don't get so one-sided that you forget God's blessings as you're running, is what Solomon is saying. And if you remember the second point, this will help you. You must remember life's passing brevity to enjoy it. It's urgent, and you've got to be knowledgeable. Number two, though, he says, you must remember the future judgment. If you would, at verse 9, he says, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. I mean, this is just to make sure that you didn't miss what, what he just got done saying in, in the, the two earlier verses. I mean, this, this, Solomon repeats his, his, his command to enjoy here. But now he specifically addresses it to, to young people, people who are just starting out. Solomon does what Paul does in Philippians 4. Remember Philippians 4, 4? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. That's what Solomon's doing here. He's told us twice now to rejoice in life, even a cursed life. Solomon says, God has given life to be enjoyed, and your early years are full of unique blessings and significant pitfalls. Their first experiences, youthful strength, there's eating five guys for dinner and a big bowl of ice cream at 9 p.m. every night and never gaining weight. There's sleep. That's a wonderful thing that young people enjoy. Solomon is speaking to those of you who are on the long side of the hill, beginning the climb. And he says, don't miss the joy of the journey. Enjoy what is found in, in the steps. And he's focusing on you. If you're in grade school through college, I mean, beyond college, you become a man or a woman, so you should act like one. But, but grades through, grade school through college, this is a full-throated call to have 
as much fun as you can while you're young. Do I have your attention? Some of your parents are got your attention too. Let me show you what, what I mean by that. I mean, it, 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 look at what he says. He says, rejoice, young man, in verse 9, during your childhood, let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. I mean, is this really a call to hedonism? Is this a call to grab all you can get in life? You only go around once? And in some ways, yes. But there's a key qualifier coming in the next verse. To use John Piper's phrase, this is a call to Christian hedonism. I mean, notice Solomon doesn't tell young people to rejoice in their youth, like that's some kind of badge of honor. It's not. You're, you're far more foolish than you realize when you're young. Solomon says to rejoice while you're young, not in your youth, but while you're in youth, because you have all of life ahead of you to live for God and His blessings. And I would quickly add the opposite is true. This is the significant pitfall of youth. The significant gift of youth is you have your whole life ahead of you. The significant pitfall is you also have your entire life to throw away if you're young. That's the warning. One of my best friends growing up was never interested in in anything bad until he hit about about 17 or 18, and then he went off the rails and started doing all kinds of bad things. Then that sped up, and his life ended in cardiac arrest due to meth when he was 28. Your youth is a gift, but it can also be your downfall if you don't heed what Solomon says next. Look look at how he ends verse 9. Yet, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet, know that God will bring you to judgment for all these these things. Now all you tight-fisted Baptists can exhale. But not too much. Solomon says, participate in all the joy of life. And while knowing, you will give an account for every act and pleasure and motive. This is the answer to the age-old problem of discerning the line of pleasure. I mean, there are two two approaches to that. Oh, I want to stay as far away from the line of anything that feels good or looks good or smells good or sounds good because I don't want to, I don't want to fall off the cliff. And there's the other side. I want to get as close to the edge as possible, maybe even teetering over on the side. But I don't want to fall off. Well, here's the, here, here's the right answer. Neither one of those are good. The answer to the age problem is to enjoy life to the fullest, but in the full light of the judgment that's coming. A full awareness of everything that you enjoy will be replayed one day before you and, and the Lord. That may seem like a contradiction, but it's not at all. It's exactly what you need to truly enjoy life. I mean, how can you say, how can you enjoy life if you know there's a judgment? It seems like judgment would, would take away my joy, but in fact, it does just the opposite. It shows you what is truly enjoyable. It tests what's, what's, what's genuinely or really joyful versus what's counterfeit in, in the world. I mean, the Bible says sin is pleasurable, but for a season. And then when that season ends, you face its consequences, whether it's sickness or disease or destroyed relationships or whatever else it is. I mean, don't fall for, for, for the young and the beautiful that, that, that tell you to live a life contrary to God as if this is how it's going to end. I mean, they're, they're, they're 20-something. The consequences of sin hasn't taken its effect yet. Look at that person whenever they're, they're 40 or 50 if they make it there. Then you'll see the consequences. Better yet, listen to God before you ever get there. I mean, sensual desire is gratifying, for sure. But hell will not be more enjoyable for it. And if you embrace what God says is truly enjoyable, then you have no fear of the judgment. And you get both. You get get God then, and you get joy right now. That's what Solomon's saying. (laughs) Live to the fullest, but live with the full light of of knowing that, that you'll face God one day. 
Solomon says true happiness consists of simultaneously enjoying the present and looking forward to the future when we'll face God. Now, only a Christian can do that because an unbeliever doesn't want to face God at all in their sins. But Christians, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what David meant when he said, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Or as others said, put God at the center of your life and then do what you like. I mean, both of those imply that your true desire is pleasing the Lord. And so whatever you enjoy will be in light of pleasing Him. And and He is never more pleased than when He gets to bless His children. I mean, God loves it when we enjoy the, the gifts He has given us. And life is loaded with them. A warm summer evening cool breeze in the afternoon, the smell of a baby, the comfort of your husband or wife, a good meal and a hot shower, fellowship and friends, a motorcycle ride to to Crabtree Falls and snacks whenever you get to the bottom. Man. And blessings will continue, not only in this life, but, but in eternity, if we remember that we'll give an account one day. Listen, there's nothing spiritual about being overly restrained, is what Solomon is saying here, or dour when it comes to God's blessings. I mean, being lukewarm, even over God's gifts, is just as disappointing to the Lord as being spiritually lukewarm. I mean, God's not more glorified by us living in the grays and the browns of of life, always worried that we might crack a smile and somehow that, that might bring God's frown. That's not the way that God says to live life. He created red and violet as well as as gray and brown, and his pleasures are freely bestowed upon his children. So don't confuse spirituality with asceticism. I mean, think about it. As a parent, do you get more joy now out of what your children get you for Christmas or what you're able to give them? I mean, isn't that the joy now? I mean, that changes as you get older. I mean, when you're a child, all you thought about is how many presents were yours and let's stack them up over here and which one has my name on it. And, but, but now you only care about, about what you can put under there for your child or your grandchild. You get greater joy out of giving gifts to them than, than, than getting them because they're your treasure. God is that way even to a greater degree. He's filled with joy when when his children in, enjoy his gifts. Psalm 84, 11, The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Solomon says our present life was meant to be joyous even though there's a curse. And it's to be pleasant to the eyes as light of the rising sun in the morning. Look, look at verse 9 again. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. I mean, the young man is called here to a quest for true joy, and he gives three actions to to, to follow, how how to fulfill the quest. Let your heart cheer during your walk, follow the ways or impulses of your heart, and follow the desires of your eyes. Now we got the tension again. Makes us Baptists sweat. I mean, this second half almost sounds off the rails. I mean, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes? Are you kidding me? I mean, is Solomon contradicting Jeremiah? Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Or Numbers 15, 39, which specifically says, do not follow after your own heart or your own eyes. This is not an invitation to live sinfully in lustful pleasure. We know that because of the second part of verse 9. But God removes all other restraints in the pursuit of joy and says, let your heart cheer. And joy comes from the heart. It's the center of man's inner life, the source of thoughts and feelings and your character. Have God at the center of your heart and you will be able to do what Solomon says here because God is the source of joy. That's why if you have God, you can have joy even in prison like Paul or even in old age like like Moses. And the eyes here is the instrument of the heart. I mean, what your eyes see as enjoyable, what they delight in, tells you what's in your heart. It's a window to to your soul. Like like Titus 1.15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. 
but both their mind and their conscience are, are defiled. Solomon says, don't live your, your life with an indifferent gaze. Make it a holy stare. Ignorance is not an excuse. Indifference must be cast aside because it neglects God's kingship. But God invites you to enjoy all, of, all that his creation has to offer. But remember, you will see that joy replayed at the Bema in heaven. Walt Kaiser said, so have fun, rejoice and delight yourself in the thrill of living. Yet remember, today will reappear tomorrow when you face the one who fully knows right from wrong. And you can do that if you don't dwell too long on the curse. Look at verse 10. He says, So, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away all pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are, are fleeting. I mean, Solomon eliminate, says eliminate vexations. Remove the things that... that that steal joy to the extent that you can. The biblical, way to, the biblical way to do this is cast your cares on the Lord. Now, you can't overcome those all the time. In fact, Solomon's already told us the futility and frustration of this life is, even compounds at times. He's saying that you should not dwell in those things. You should not focus, overly focus on those things. You may get sad, but don't remain there. You, you may be anxious for the moment, but don't dwell in that land. You, you will experience sorrow outside of the garden, but, but don't put on a mourning garment and walk around. Uh, leave the funeral of your feelings as quickly as possible because life is fleeting. Throw off the ankle sprains of the soul and, and, and get on with life. You, you say, how? How do I do that? I want to do that. How do I do that? Well, well that's what he'll tell you next. Solomon says, enjoy all you see or desire, but make sure that you have Hebrews 9.27 tattooed on the backs of your eyelids. It's appointed under man once to die and then the judgment. And then you need to remember your creator. Here's the third certainty. You must remember to enjoy life. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your creator. Remember, life has a beginning and an end, and it, it moves along. So don't get so wrapped up around the axle of what happens to you in life that, that you, you lose it all. You, you don't live, and you miss the enjoyments. And remember, everything that you do in life, enjoy it to the fullest, but remember, everything you do in life will show up again before the bema, and God rejoices in the good parts. And you'll stand in judgment for the bad. But finally, remember also your Creator, verse 1. In the days of your youth... Before the evil days come, it's just before the end, before life is gone. And the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Solomon says the way to do that is to remember your creator, especially when you're young. He's still talking to young people here. He's going to get to the old folks and then even those who have one foot in the grave, literally, before the passage is over. He says, remember your creator. And that's more than a mental exercise. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, God. It's way more than that. It means to drop the, the pretense of self-sufficiency and commit yourself to Him. It, it means fidelity. It means trust. It means faith. Derek Kinder said it's illustrated by the psalmist's remembrance of Jerusalem in Psalm 137, verse 6. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, keep your creator at the center of life. I pray the same thing, number of the same things every morning. I pray other stuff too, but I remind myself. I say to the Lord, I was made for you. You were not made for me. From the time I woke up this morning, Lord, until I lay my head down tonight, I can't do anything about yesterday. I'm not promised tomorrow. I have the day in front of me. In this day, I was not, you were not made for me. I was made for you. And so I want to live today for you. That's remembering your creator. And then everything's filtered through that. It's my only purpose in life, is to live for you. 
And Solomon says part of the way that you live for God is enjoy the gifts that, that he's given. With this kind of remembrance, there can be no half measures or partial awareness. It's a wholehearted trust. It's a commitment to him. When, when the Old Testament says God remembered his covenant with Abraham, that was much more than, than he forgot, and now it came to his mind. It means that God acts in light of the covenant that, that he made. He performs future actions based on this awareness of, of, of the covenant that he made. And it's the same with you in, in your youth. The, act in your life based on the, the, the commitment that you've made to God. You're to remember your Creator all the days of your life. You're to recall Him as you live. You're to reflect on Him as you choose. You're to rejoice in His presence. That's promised one day. And Solomon says, do that early and do that with all of it. I mean, here's a verse if you're a Sunday school worker or, or in nursery. You're doing God's work. You really are. I mean, people naturally think the opposite of what Solomon says here, right? Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. They think, uh, I'll deal with God whenever I get old. Maybe once I settle down or I get a few more good licks in with the world. The Bible always turns the worldly wisdom on, on, its, on, on its ear. It says, come to him young so you can live for him your whole life because evil days are coming. That's what he says. And if you don't start young... The patterns and ways of your life will cut valleys into your heart, and once the water runs that way for a length of time, it becomes a canyon that's harder to climb out of. And I know this for a fact, and some of you do as well. I mean, think about it. Are older people more open to hear Christ or children? Well, some do. <laughs> because God's arm is not shortened to save by anything. He can save you 8 or 88. But it's when you're young that your heart has not been hardened by sin and choices. and So the ground is softer for God's plow to pierce. I mean, this is a call to not to trifle with God. If, if you're young, you may harden yourself beyond help. I mean, even if you feel a twinge of God's wooing. Solomon says, don't turn away from him. He may be way farther than you think. It might sound like a whisper to you, but, it, but in reality, it's the bullhorn of the gospel. But you're so hardened and calloused by your sin, you, you, can't, you can't even hear the, the volume. And then one day you can't hear God at all. Solomon says, yield to him, because the way of a transgressor is hard. And age is coming like a gathering storm. Look at verse 2. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and years draw near, and when you will say, I have no delight in them. And then he describes what he means, verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after rain, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop and grinding ones stand idle. It goes all the way through, through verse 5. I mean, whoever said getting old is not for sissies actually read Ecclesiastes verses 1 through 8. We like to hide old age away. We don't like to think about it, whether it's plastic surgery or avoidance of nursing homes. But Solomon doesn't let us get by with that. He says it's part of the curse. And the reality is to motivate you to enjoy life while you can, evaluate those enjoyments in light of the judgment, and then serve God while you're able. I mean, Solomon describes the process of aging here in stunning poetry. Verses 2 through 6, it's a, there's a progressive deterioration here of, of aging. There's a description of nature, there's a dilapidated house, and then there's a, a dignified funeral. And the whole image of this great estate is slowly falling into disrepair, and Solomon once again checks Pollyanna at the door. He tells us the truth about life and what's coming. It's not to depress you, it's to motivate you wherever you're at to live with him before you get here. And, and if you're here, to live for him in a specific way. In verse 2 is the image of mental faculties that fail. The sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the, the clouds return after the rain. The vigor dims, the mind dulls after days of sunshine. And those days are now fewer and far, farther between. Solomon moves to an image of a declining house. Verse 3 through 6, 
Solomon is describing the bodily infirmities that come because of the, the fall. The house trembles. The hands and arms grow shaky. The mighty stoop. The muscles shrink and the back bows. The grinders cease. The teeth become brittle. Those who look through windows grow dim. The eyes lose their sharpness and focus. The doors on the street are shut, and the sound of the grinder mill is low. Hearing is lost and speech is slowed. One will arise at the, the, the sound of a bird, the inability to sleep through the night. All the daughter of songs will sing softly, the loss of ability to make and enjoy music. Men are afraid of high places and terror on the road. There's a low tolerance for risk and increased fears. We don't like change. And one day the house collapses. This is the olive tree blossom is brilliant white and among the other trees of less color. This describes white hair. The grasshopper drags himself along. Some of you feel like grasshoppers dragging yourself along, right? Things become too heavy, even body parts. Walking and running and lifting is more difficult. The caper berry is ineffective. This was a remedy for loss of appetite and even an aphrodisiac. And neither of those are as important as they once were. And after this slow process has taken place, the body finally gives out. Look at verse 5. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. It's a description of a funeral and the significance of death's victory, like we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 6, Remember him before the symbol, uh, silver cord is broken, and the golden bowl is crushed, and the pitcher by, by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. All this is symbolism. It's a culminating verse. Derek Kinder said it, it attempts to capture the beauty and fragility of the human frame. I mean, man is a masterpiece, delicately wrought as a work of art, and yet as breakable as a piece of earthenware, and as useless in the end as a broken wheel. You ever thought about that, how amazing the human body is, yet how frail it is? In one sense, it's a masterpiece of creation like no other, and yet something as tiny as bacteria can bring it down. And this is a reminder of both your creator and the curse. And you need to remember both if you hope to conquer life and, and finish well. Because if not, you can look at this happening to you and you can say, Ah, oh, life is over. I mean, this a, what a horrible way. And he's saying, No, this is what happens to all of us because of the curse. But this is not the end. So finish well. Live for Christ all the way to the end. Because one day all men will return to the earth from whence they came. Look at verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Can you, can you hear Genesis 1 through 3 here? Your Creator, the dust, the Spirit that was given, was the echoes of Genesis 1 through 3, before the curse. And the final choice of Adam and yours leads to verse 7. You're dust, and to dust you shall return. And Solomon has reminded us through the whole book that we are to blame for our condition, not God. God made us upright, but they have sought out many devices. Ecclesiastes 7.29. But, but he ends where he began, reminding us that without God, life and the curse is vanity of vanities, and we know this is true that we're animated dirt living outside of the garden and we'll return to that dirt. And nothing in our search for meaning and purpose and joy and peace and fulfillment has led us home. Nothing we are offered under the sun is permanent. Or as Kinder said, nothing is ours to keep. You may have it for a moment, but then it, it slips through your fingers. And because death is coming for you, if you don't know the one who waits on the other side of it, if you have not dealt with Him in your youth and you live an empty, weightless life, you'll regret it in the end because this is where it ends. I mean, think of it this way. He's saying if you've not dealt with God by the time you get here, if you have not dealt with God in this life, then your first, then your first experience with God 
is in the judgment. And some of you may have never experienced God. You know of Him. You know things about Him. But you don't know Him. You've never truly experienced Him. Solomon says, don't let your first experience be judgment. He says, the confidence that we have in living is not our strength, not our health, not our vigor, not what you see happening daily in your body. Our hope is the fact that our spirit will return to the one who gave it. And notice, it's His. Verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. We're His. That's what gives life meaning. He gave us life in the beginning. It's the same thing that Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Of course, this is futile and frustrating, and getting old is hard, and death is, is there just something not right about that? Because you weren't made to die. You were created to live forever, but sin came, and, and now you live in the midst of that. And when your body remains in the dust of this earth, it comes to the place where it goes back to the dirt, but then your spirit is personally and consciously either with Christ or without Him. And the encouragement here is for a believer, he goes back to God who gave it. And that makes sense. It gives you purpose. I mean, the entire book, Solomon has been focusing our eyes on life under the sun, and now at the very end, he points us to beyond the sun. The body goes back in the ground, and beyond the sun dawns. And with the whole book behind him, having proved that there's nothing here to keep, only drops of God's morsels of goodness, meant to point us elsewhere, the Creator who owns our souls. He says, if you turn to Him and remember Him throughout your life under the sun, then Jesus Christ will remember you before the judgment throne, and you will be with Him where there is no curse. Forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. But if you don't know Him, you'll only remain before Him for a short time. And unless you turn to your Creator while you can, when you're making decisions about life that can lead you into a lifetime of living for Him, Solomon says, do that. And you say, well, what if I'm already old? What if I've already wasted my youth? Well, you're not drooling on yourself yet. You're here this morning, right? So live for Him now. You can't do anything about yesterday. And there might be a pile of yesterdays there. You can live for today. And you're not even promised tomorrow. None of us are. And so lay hold of a younger person who may not be getting what Solomon is saying here and, telling, and tell them your story of regret. Tell them not to follow in your footsteps. Tell them to do what Solomon says right here. David said in Psalm 51 in his confession after his sin with Bathsheba, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That, that's what you do with a wasted life. You can't do anything about what you've, you've already done. You start today, and you try to help others. David asked God to forgive him so he can use him, and that's what you do. And God can still use you by helping others. You can learn a lot from a bad example as well as a good one. We don't want to be a bad example, but we'll be any example that God can use if we come to the Lord. But whether you're young or old, you must remember three certainties to enjoy life. It's passing brevity. It's future judgment. And your Creator. Remember it early. Keep it before you all your life. Hold to it tightly when you're old. And you'll enjoy what this life offers. And more importantly, gain entrance in the one that, that is to come. Solomon has good wisdom. Let's pray. 
Gracious Father, I am thankful for the personal reminder. I had to study this again. And I found myself restudying this passage thinking, wow, that's so good. Wow, I'd forgotten that. Wow, I needed that for my own soul. Just a reminder of the reality of life and your goodness. So I pray, Lord, for all of us, all of us this morning, wherever we're at in the journey, young, old, any, anywhere in between, that's all relative. We don't know the number of days that you've ordained. Some will will be young, some will be middle-aged, some will, will go even past what, what is normal. We're not promised any of those. What we are promised is life with you if we'll come to your Son. And you freely offer salvation to anyone who will repent and believe. So I pray for us who are believers, having embraced that, we, we, would, we would enjoy life remembering you and, and that we'll be rewarded and suffer loss the things that are wrong. And I pray for anyone who's a, a, not a Christian this morning, Lord, that they would just start by looking full and into the face of Jesus Christ, trusting in Him alone for salvation. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing Jesus Paid It All and Song of Response. forget tonight we'll not be in here we'll be in the other building because we begin this evening family gathering but we have a baptism we start with baptism tonight we'll be taking the lord's supper and there's also a very important announcement tim will be going over uh the the mirrored services so you'll get a refresher of any of those details but i have a i have a very important announcement for you uh, tonight it's good and you have to come tonight to hear it all right so lord we love you and we praise you for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.